Hacking Consciousness. Exploring the mind through the prism of science, technology, meditation, and psychedelics. Welcome to Hacking Consciousness. I'm your host, Adrian Baker. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I have an excellent interview to bring to you with Dax DeFranco. Dax is a former teacher turned computer programmer who co-founded the Altered Conference in Berlin, which has rapidly turned into one of the leading conferences on psychedelics in Europe. Before I tune uh, to the conversation with Dax, just a few notes about, let's start with social media. So I tend to be most active on Twitter and Facebook. It's my intention over time to build up the YouTube and the Instagram accounts and to do more video content. But right now it is just me. And so I'm really focusing on Twitter and Facebook and the podcast is really the main source of the content as well as the blog pieces that I'm writing on that. So it's essentially just the podcast and the blog for now starting out. And it really is uh, in terms of social media where I'm most active, Twitter and Facebook. So you can find me on Twitter at Hacking Conscious. So it's hacking without the G. H-A-C-K-I-N-C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S or the Facebook page is just Hacking Consciousness and I really would like to get into a conversation with those of you who are interested in these type of topics as well. So I welcome your thoughts on any of the conversations that come up on these podcasts, questions, comments, what you'd like to hear more of, um, suggestions for guests. I would also welcome your thoughts on any of the blog pieces that I've written. I've written three in the last week, two that were inspired by my conversation with Ian Benoit against the war on drugs. And the third one was on ayahuasca, thinking about it through two different lenses. One, a traditional indigenous lens, thinking about it as a form of plant medicine and everything that goes along with that, ayahuasca is spirit, or thinking about it through a more modern technological lens as ayahuasca is kind of a technology with which we interface and exploring some of the language that we use around ayahuasca and the significance of that. So would welcome any of your thoughts on all of the above and hope to really get to know more of you in the coming weeks and months. Finally, a note about supporting the podcast. Really would appreciate your help in supporting this podcast and develop helping to develop a following and really a, a network of people who are interested in having these kinds of conversations together. So there are a few different ways you can do that. Very simply, just sharing the podcast on your social media platforms or just by word of mouth telling people who also you think might be interested in this in exploring these kind of topics about the podcast. Also, writing a review is extremely important for helping to build a following for a podcast early on. I have to say, I've been listening to podcasts for a while and I always heard people saying this and I did do it myself for the podcast that I really like, but sometimes I would listen to podcasts for months before I did so and 
like anything, you really have to do it yourself to understand what a difference that makes. <laughs> and having starting a podcast now, I will always write reviews for podcasts that I like early on because it really is so crucial for developing a following. So if you like this content and what we're discussing, if you could take two minutes to write a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Music Store, that would be a really helpful way of supporting the podcast, and I'd be great. Uh, extremely grateful. Finally, I would say that if you are interested in supporting us on patreon.com slash hacking consciousness, that would also be a big help. Honestly, just $1, $2 an episode would go really a long way towards just keeping this podcast ad-free, which is my intention, and to bringing in some additional income, which I obviously not only need to figure out a way to make this sustainable if I want to do it, but I would really like to do it so that I can also hire more people um, to develop more engaging content for the website. And so um, if you are able and willing to support us in any of the following ways, I would appreciate that help in whichever form it comes. Thank you for listening. And now I give you my conversation with Dax DeFranco. And welcome to the Hacking Consciousness Podcast. I am here with Zach E. Franco, who is the co-founder of the Altered Conference in Berlin. How's it going, Dax? It's going well, thanks. Excellent. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, not at all. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start out by telling people just a little bit about yourself and what exactly the Altered Conference is and how you got the inspiration to start it. Okay. Um, so Altered started about a year and a half, two years ago. Um, I'm living in Berlin and there's a little bookshop next to me that did lots of events about occult and psychedelic and just kind of whatever weird topics they could find, they would put on events about this. Uh, so I approached them to do a talk about Terence McKenna and alchemy after I had been listening to a lot of Terence McKenna talks on the Psychedelic Salon. And so they said, yeah, okay, let's do this. So we planned a time and a lot of people came to this event. It was really fun, everybody was really engaged and I was really surprised by the mix of people that was there. There was students, there was, um, you know, older, kind of businessy people there was uh, just like really this broad spectrum that I would not necessarily expect to all have this common interest so afterwards we I, I talked to the the guys from the bookstore and I said hey this was really cool like can we do it again or can we do it a little bit bigger and they said hey yeah listen if you want to do it like you have the space so figure something out so I talked to some people, I um, wrote on some forums and said, you know, just can anybody recommend some speakers? I, I want to just make like a really small conference. And yeah, once I started emailing people, just everybody said yes. So in a matter of a month, I went from the idea to the first altered conference kind of being born like that. So we had six speakers. It was last October in 2016. We had six speakers. We had about 50 guests and... Yeah, I mean, it was small, but it was really nice. Um, and at that conference, my current partner, Amit, uh, he came to the conference, he was in the audience, and he said, hey, I'm really interested in psychedelics. Let's 
try to make this bigger next year. So we met up again in the spring of this year. We kind of kicked around some ideas and we, s we gathered concepts and tried to figure out what we wanted this to be. And from there, it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Uh, and this year, we're going to have over 30 speakers over two days with 400 people coming. Um, yeah, so it's kind of taken on a life of its own. That is really cool. That's excellent. Um, it's amazing. It's really fun. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about some of the speakers that I know you have coming this year? Because they're great. And, and also maybe the theme as well. Okay, sure. Yeah. So the, the theme this year is um, about crisis and opportunity mixed with psychedelics. So we kind of came up with this just through talking about stuff that was going on in our own lives. So when I met Ami uh, in the spring, we were both going through some, some difficult stuff personally and kind of everybody around me and, and the world as well, just everything is, you know, at a boiling point kind of. Um, but Amit is also has been into psychedelics for a long time. He's more kind of on the plant medicine and, and therapy path. But, you know, we talked a lot about how when, you, when you're having these personal crises, this is kind of like this is the time to grow and to expand and to change something about yourself. So we said that we wanted to work that into the conference itself. And, I mean, around that time, like the anti-Trump, because he had just been inaugurated, so the anti-Trump thing was really, like, at a peak. So we said, like, you know, how can we use this energy or, or how can that energy be directed to something that's a little bit more useful? Uh, yeah, and so that's kind of the idea. I mean, there's there's all of these things going wrong, but, you know, in an alchemical sense, this is kind of the primal materia. This is the thing that you can use to to build something better out of or to, to purify and then you, you have a, a stronger essence to work from. And about the speakers, we tried really hard to get a good mix of people. So it's not the, I'm not sure that there's such a thing as a traditional psychedelic <laughs> conference, but <laughs> it's, it's not that, for whatever sure. that, <laughs> Yeah, whatever that might be. Um, I know a lot of the conferences, especially in the US, tend to be uh, more based on neuroscience or more based on research. And we want to have those things because they're really interesting. But I think a lot of the psychedelic scene, you know, the psychedelic scene attracts people from every sphere. So we wanted to have some representation from all of those places. Um, so we have people like Dr. Fadiman, who, who's doing microdosing and research. We have um, people like Zach Leary, who's also talking a lot about psychedelics and, and um, how we can use them in culture. Uh, but we also have people like Julian Vane and Nikki Weird, who are talking about building psychedelic ritual, and they're coming from a more occult or esoteric background. Uh, we have people like Georgia Gaia, who she's coming from the more experimental academic realm. Uh, so we have a little bit of everything. We actually uh, just booked someone in the past days, and I apologize if I'm saying her name wrong, Karishia. Uh, she's doing shamanic BDSM, so this is she's going to do a workshop that's just about getting in touch with your body. And we have a lot of body workers and movement therapists and um, yeah, people who are trying to get back in touch with the body-mind dynamic. So, you know, I think psychedelics 
and talking about psychedelics tend to be really over-intellectualized. Not that that's a bad thing because a lot of intellectual stuff comes up, but it's easy to forget that, you know, there's all of this inter interesting intellectual stuff to explore, but you also have a body and there's also a lot, a lot to explore there. Yeah, the whole notion that the mind is separate from the body is unfortunately exactly. a very uh, prevalent one, right? Consciously, if not unconsciously. Yeah, I mean, it's so deep, uh, especially in Western culture. I, I can't speak for anywhere else, but... Yeah, certainly. Well, it sounds great. I love the theme. I think it's very timely. The guests sound really fantastic. And I know one thing as well that you mentioned to me, which I also think is really a great idea is you, you told me that you don't want alter just to be, you know, a great 48 hours where people come have a great conference and leave. You're really interested in, in building kind of a larger conversation out of this. And from, I think this is a common problem with any kind of, workshop or conference, I actually experienced this a lot with a teacher as a teacher in professional development. You go, it's really inspiring, and then you'd leave. And that's like, if there's no follow-up, do you actually change, right? Or, or how do you really build on that? Sure. So um, I like that you had that, that ambition. And I'm wondering what are some of the ways that you imagine um, succeeding and sort of sustaining that conversation? I think a lot of it is just building community. Um, I think that I was also a teacher, and so I, that really hits home about the professional development thing because you go to these workshops or conferences or you know teacher trainings, and you get really excited that you know you're going to take this back to your classroom and change all of these kids' lives, and you're going to be like the teacher of the year. I, I don't know what. Like you think that you're really going to have these skills to get through to the kids that you've never been able to. But when you're sort of, uh, you get that information and then you're stuck with it, it just, it stays just with you and you try to implement it yourself. It's hard to keep that, it's hard to keep that going. Um, so I think the important thing is to, for, for us to try to, excuse me, for us to try to realize that it's not just us. I mean, if, if we try to keep this up, of course we're going to get burned out. So I think in doing Altered, we're trying to bring together a lot of people who have a common interest and who are coming at it from a lot of different, uh, a lot of different directions, and our main goal is just to, to you know, get people talking, get people talking to each other, to build their own networks, to make their own projects, to figure out the things that they want to do, and then and then do it. Um, and I hope that we can, you know, facilitate those meetings and to be a place where things get started, like a, a kind of psychedelic incubator. Yeah, I love that idea. I love that idea. Can you give us a sense of, I, I can tell from the speakers list that it's a very international um, group. Can you give us a sense of how many people you're anticipating sort of from within Germany versus outside of Germany or Europe versus elsewhere? Regarding the speakers or the guests? The guests. The guests. Um, so we're doing our sales through Eventbrite and actually they have this nice little kind of heat map thing oh, nice. so you can see where people have bought tickets from uh, and definitely the majority so far has been within Germany and even within Berlin uh, but we have 
for some people who have bought tickets from America, there's been a lot of people in Scandinavia, down as far south as like Turkey and other Mediterranean countries, uh, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, Ireland. The, so it's really been all over. There hasn't been one specific place. Very cool. And this is something you're going to be planning on holding annually? We hope so. Yeah. I mean, so like I said, last year it kind of started small and then this year it got bigger. And, you know, I'm hoping that there's, <laughs> we're not going to reach our limit to growth anytime soon. Right. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've noticed about some of these psychedelic conferences, it seems pr a pretty common theme that they're every two years. And I could understand why, especially for, like you said, in the U.S., when it's very research-driven, why you want to maybe give some more time for more research to come out. But if it's for those of us who are really interested in building community, I think having it annually is pretty crucial. So I like the fact that you're planning. Yeah, and you know, I think that um, I think that we will be able to do that. Uh, we learned a lot this year in organizationally and and in trying to bring all of these threads together we've made a lot of connections we've made a lot of friends and you know the psychedelic community is just excuse me so welcoming and so kind like we've made connections with a lot of the different psychedelic societies in europe um, we have a really strong connection with the psychedelic press uh, they're a bookseller from from the uk and actually that's how i that's how you and i got exactly through through rosalind stone she, yeah she helped She's us been out very and, uh, helpful and uh, yeah, just everybody has done this. There, there hasn't really been one person who said, well, you know, we've got our own thing going. We don't really want to help you. So goodbye and good luck. Everybody has just opened their arms and opened their hearts and, and done whatever they can to support us. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I, I'm, it really is. I'm n even newer to the scene than you, but uh, in the brief amount of time where I've been getting involved, I've definitely had that sense as well. And one thing I kind of wonder, you know, I see all these psychedelic societies popping up. People are doing, you know, meetup.com for organizing them. And that's really great. I think particularly for this crowd where we were just talking about this before we started the interview, there's a lot of overlap between, you know, the digital nomad crowd and or even just those who are tech savvy generally. Right. And um, the psychedelic community, and I've got to think the next phase in this is like, how are we now going to sort of get this online more and have more virtual meetups going on um, and things like that? And I'm sure part of it for me is because, you know, when you live in a city like Berlin or London, you obviously have such a great resource right there. And, and I don't have that where I live. But um if we really do want to transcend these boundaries, regardless of, of where we live and how many opportunities we have locally, I would just think that's kind of the next natural phase of really getting more interconnected and building this network internationally. Um, is that something that you've thought about kind of how you might prototype that yet on your, on your website or with your online presence? Um, I mean, Yes and no. So I guess if I can go back, tech is a really, tech is a big part of the conference. I mean, I'm, I'm a programmer, so tech, I think in terms of those things, or I think in terms of those technologies a lot, because what it, it's what I work with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Terrence McKenna also really was strong into technology, and technology and the internet was nothing like it is now 
when he was still alive uh, and he, when he was talking about it so so passionately we have a couple people this year and i think next year perhaps we'll even have more but we have um, a professor named brian dugan from from ireland and he's into vr and ai and he's going to bring some of his vr machines with him and and some of his projects uh, we have a couple other people who are also talking about like the, the tech side of um, of psychedelics. So I think actually just in terms of experiences, that's something that we're going to be able to share uh, online and, and through the internet, probably in, in the not too distant future. Um, but in terms of what we can share as content, we actually, I had a conversation last night about how we can do Facebook Live of the of some of the uh, talks so that there's people in, uh, for example, Symposia or somebody else, maybe they want to uh, live stream some of the talks. Uh, so that's something that we can do. We're also putting some money into documentation this year. We want to have all of the talks uh, online on YouTube. I think most of the conferences are doing this these days. Um, the workshops as well, like kind of whatever we can get online that is reasonable to put online in a format that can be easily recorded and then and then shown to people. Um, it's, I mean, it's important to make that information available, I think. And I mean, we're we're bringing all of these people together, so we want there to be a a record of this. We want those people to be able to share the talks that they've done. I mean, I think the more important thing actually is, you know, you you can't replace being there in person. I mean, because all of the talks are great, but I think it's it's the connections that you make, the people that you meet, the conversations that you have in between the talks. Like, that's really the meat of going to a conference like this. Definitely. Definitely, no question. Um, there, You cannot, even as powerful as so many of these tools are, and I really do love, you know, Twitter in particular, but some of these other tools for, you know, being connected to people from all around the world, but there's still no replacing face-to-face uh, -face interaction for sure and building relationships that way. That said, I really appreciate you putting the um, the talks, some of the talks at least online on YouTube. It certainly will cut down on the FOMO for those of us who aren't able to make it to Berlin. So that would be great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important. I think it's really important. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, thank you for making that information widely available. I'd love to build on this idea that you've sort of brought up and sort of this strong parallel between psychedelics and technology. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many different ways we can start this. One, one thing is even just the language. I don't know if you had a chance to read the article I sent you. I just wrote something about ayahuasca. Think about it as a form of do we talk about it in this kind of traditional terms of uh, sort of sacred medicine or it's an interesting frame to think about it through the modern kind of technological terms as a form of augmented reality? And how do you like to think of psychedelics? Do you think the term technology is appropriate or is it appropriate for certain types of psychedelics and not others? How do you see that? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily see it as technology. I think it's interesting, um, you know, the way that you frame a thing or the way that you talk about it changes the perspective that you see it with. So 
if you talk about psychedelics as technology, that opens up kind of a world of metaphor that you can use to get at sort of um, different aspects of it than you might otherwise be able to. If you see psychedelics as a kind of form of intelligence, uh, I think mushrooms in particular, or and ayahuasca as well, I've never done that, but uh, I know people say that it's, you know, it has an intelligence of its own. It's, it's not like you are, you know, it feels like you're interfacing with another into with another kind of intelligence. No question. <laughs> I think that's that's kind of the that's the medical that's the metaphorical space that I tend to view psychedelics in. Um, but I think there is a lot of there's a lot of potential for seeing them as as a technology or as something else. So I'm definitely picking up on your Terence McKenna influence right there. Um, with uh, thinking about yeah, totally. thinking about mushrooms as a form of intelligence. Now, I'd love to sort of unpack this a little bit. I know Terrence McKenna, and I'm not nearly as familiar with his work as you are, though. After sending, after listening to the talk that you sent to me, which we'll include in the show notes, I want to listen to more of them because that was really mind blowing. Um, right. Now, my understanding is Terrence McKenna, in particular, was a fan of mushrooms and sort of favored that. Fa tended to favor plants over synthetics like LSD. Is is that a fair character characterization of his position? Um, I know that he talked about mushrooms and ayahuasca and sort of traditional plant-based shamanism more. I'm not sure that I could say that he preferred one to the other. I mean, a lot of a lot of the experience that I've had with him is just listening to all of his talks through the psychedelic salon uh, or other, you know, YouTube or, or other places like this. So I would like to say that I'm a Terrence McKenna expert, but that's definitely not the case. So okay. <laughs> I, I don't want to say something that may not well, be true. Well, we'll leave that aside. Just maybe perhaps explain to people why you think of psychedelic mushrooms as a form of intelligence and why that's the way you frame it. For me, that's just been the overwhelming experience that I've had with them. Um, so like acid, for example, often it feels like it's bringing out things that I don't ordinarily have access to or things that are a little bit buried or things that are... Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the reason. Why. <laughs> I guess this is not the reason why it's called acid, but it feels like it dissolves you mm. a little bit. Uh, that you know, you kind of you get past some borders and boundaries that you know are usually closed up quite tightly. But mushrooms are not that way. I think mushrooms. It tends. It feels like it's showing you things that you don't really know or that you didn't really have access to necessarily. Um, it feels much more like a guide or a teacher or a, you know, and it, it can be a very gentle, kind teacher. And it can also be, you know, a really strict, mean teacher who's slapping you if you do something wrong. Uh, but, but it very much has that feeling more than other psychedelics that I've had experience with. Interesting. You make me want to revisit it. I sort of, I, when I first got into psychedelics, I really was mushrooms was my preference for a long time and then i had gravitated 
to um, preferring acid, actually. Um, I kind of felt like after having experience with some friends, I felt like, oh, I'd never really had really good acid before. And when I tried that, it was, um, there were a lot of things I preferred about that. But the way you just described mushrooms is actually the way I felt like it's exactly how I would describe ayahuasca and how I've really only had that kind of experience on ayahuasca before. So, um, you do make me want to revisit that. It's there, there is something to be said that these compounds are growing naturally from the earth, which is pretty interesting. I mean, I think that there, there's definitely a, um, like I find a, there's a certain similarity, but between a lot of the psychedelic compounds. So, with acid, with mushrooms, with MDMA, with with all of these different kinds of things, if I'm having, if I if I've taken sufficient enough of a dose of anything, always I get to this point where I'm. I, I like to t I like to take them outside usually, but so usually there comes some point where I'm laying on uh, laying on the grass and looking up at the sky, and crying and just thinking like I'm so, I'm so grateful to be here like this is such an amazing opportunity that I'm alive and like in this body that that seems to be really common to psychedelics that you just get this overwhelming gratitude for the opportunity to have this experience I think beyond that it kind of you know then you see the shades of difference so acid changes from there, mushrooms change from there, where you go from that starting point changes based on the substance. But I think they all bring you back to that kind of common starting place. Yeah, I would say perspective and gratitude are consistently two of the most common things that I get out of doing psychedelics. And that could be a relatively low dose. By low, I mean maybe a gram of mushrooms or 50 micrograms of acid or it could be a major dose like but um yeah and that those are common themes sort of from what i hear um so it's interesting to hear you share that uh, one thing i wanted to ask was be is do you tend to and i'm thinking about this because i know you're a programmer you know there's so much talk about micro dosing <laughs> now you know do you do that and have you is, is that part of your relationship to psychedelics? Do you find it, you know, it enhances your creativity or your work life at all? Or are you pretty much more of a macro doser? You separate your personal and professional uses that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would really like to experiment with microdosing. I, I haven't done it very much. Um, I don't have a great, I haven't had great experiences with taking small doses. Uh, of anything um, so this is slightly tangential but there's a, a girl that I know uh, who lives in Berlin and she's been having um, what do you say uh, cluster headaches for 10 or 15 years so quite a long time and I, f I found out about this and and I said to her hey you know I heard that there's some research being done about about mushrooms so if you take a really small amount of them it can kind of circumvent whatever's going on in, in your in your body and and get rid of those headaches so she said yeah okay of course i'll try it so i gave her uh what was it 0.03 mm -hmm. grams 
I guess. Yeah, so three. You mean zero point three um, or point zero three? Zero. Uh, wait. Point zero three okay. grams, like a tiny. really really small yeah. amount. Um, yeah, tiny, tiny, tiny. I think that's what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I gave I gave her a really small amount, and I said, okay, listen, I think this is what you should try. But she had no psychedelic experience, and so I didn't want to give her something that she wasn't ready for when the goal was just to get rid of her headaches. So I also took that same amount. And then through the rest of the day, I kind of, my, my stomach was a little bit weird. My muscles felt a little bit weird. My mind was sort of like going into these little funny alleyways. So I was getting like the tiny hints of the precursors to a psychedelic experience, but but I just got stuck in that place. Mm. And I've had that experience a lot of times when I've taken small doses of acid or small doses of mushrooms. So I, I went back and said to her, actually take half of what I told you before. And I think that will be good. And then actually, so this is amazing. She, she's been using them for a while and she said that her headaches are gone, which is amazing. Like really, oh. really amazing. That's um, interesting. I've heard of CBD and THC, say, you know, for migraines, but I'd never heard of psychedelics for. It's specifically for cluster headaches, which is kind of a specific okay. kind of migraine. Um, and I mean, I, I, I don't know anything more about that. I just, I read a couple articles one time and when she said this, it kind of, it triggered it and, and brought it to mind. So I, I figured, okay, well, it's worth trying. Um, but yeah, that, that just to say, I would like to try microdosing, and and I think it's it's finding the right dose for your body, um, and finding the right dose for what works for you. So it takes some experimentation and some, you know, trial and error. But I haven't really done that. I know a lot of people who've had great experiences with it, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're... and actually, this is interesting. We have uh, somebody at the conference who's going to be talking about microdosing salvia uh, as a way to break through procrastination and, and a way to yeah do, do what you want to do without so much hesitation. Interesting. Yeah. Microdosing is a, is very new to me. You know, after doing psychedelics for 20 years, I'd really never thought of just everyone that who I knew who was doing psychedelics, it just wasn't really in the, the parlance, you know, and I think this is, Someone said the other day, microdosing is another word for moderation. I mean, moderation tends to be something that doesn't happen when you have prohibition, right? It didn't happen with prohibition of alcohol. And I think you're seeing more moderation when people can microdose cannabis, right? When they know they don't need, yes, we're seeing stronger, stronger strands, but people are also realizing, oh, I don't need 23% THC marijuana. You know, I could just have a one-to-one -one CBD dropper. And so I think that's, yeah. that's why there's been a lack of it. But in reading, you know, after sort of Tim Ferriss had Jim Fadiman on and Paul Austin, the third wave, I sort of revisited it. And I, I read Jim Fadiman's book recently. And, you know, as I think Jim himself has said on a number of occasions, there's not nearly enough research. There needs to be more research. So at this point, what we have is a lot of hmm. interesting anecdotes but the studies that the small amount of data that we have is really fascinating um hearing about these people most of whom had never done psychedelics before uh who were architects and engineers who were 
doing doses and then working on a specific problem for their work. And it was pretty overwhelmingly consistent, sort of the breakthroughs they had on it. So I just find this a whole new interesting um, discussion around psychedelics, along with all the therapeutic benefits we're hearing as well. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think that's really, that's something we're trying to dig into with Altered is that, uh, you know, that kind of concept that there's so much more to psychedelics. It's not just these big, overwhelming drug experiences. It's not just neuroscience and, and therapy. It, it's both of those things for sure. But, you know, I mean, there's also cultural implications. There's political implications. There's... Um, artistic implications that there's the creativity aspect there's microdosing there's there's therapy and healing there's um i don't know the, the technological aspect there's the occult and ritual aspect just everything you know it's just it's it's literally how can i say it it's it's a it's a pair of lenses that you can see you can use to see the world in an entirely new way so so just everything that goes on in your life they can have an effect so there's no there's no boundaries for them yeah i i one set of i guess one way of describing um sort of the movement you know the psychedelic activism that's going on now is trying to move psychedelics sort of from counterculture to the mainstream and that seems to be a pretty consistent theme um I'm wondering if that's how you view part of your work in as well. And if so, how do you think we go about moving, you know, psychedelics from counterculture to the mainstream? Perhaps what are the obstacles and, and how do we overcome those? Um, well, we talked about this actually a little bit before the show started. Uh, I kind of, I don't see altered as having an agenda necessarily more than to get the people who are interested in these kinds of things together. Um, so, you know, we have people coming who are interested in, in the ritual aspect. We have people coming who are interested in the neuroscience and research aspect. We have people coming who are interested in the creative and artistic aspects. I, I'm not trying to topple governments or like, you know, make new laws or I, I don't, I don't want to be bothered with any of that. Um, what I <laughs> what I am interested in is uh, you know just just getting people together who have an interesting perspective and then seeing what they can come up with. You know, I, I want altered to be a place where people can get together and and share ideas and come up with projects and then you know go from there, start their own start their own things and. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I really like the fact that you said you don't have an agenda. I'd love to build on that and just say, you know, I think we have to be really okay. careful about how sometimes when people talk about psychedelics, it can start to take on an evangelical tone. And yeah, and yeah, totally. that is something totally. that clearly appreciate that your conference is not about that. I... I really don't like that aspect. I don't believe in proselytizing anything, whether it's religion or psychedelic use. <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, I, I guess it's 
it wouldn't be honest to say I don't have an agenda. The agenda is I think people who are interested should be able to use them legally. I mean, I think exploring your own consciousness is pretty much the most fundamental right you can possibly have what you choose to put into your own body. So in that sense, I do have an agenda and I'm, I'm raising awareness around these issues, but I, one of the first things that I say to people, friends, if they ever ask me is about psychedelics is, um, I've gotten a lot out of them, but they are definitely not for everyone. And it's not something that I would ever recommend to others or certainly not someone that I knew very, very well. And even then I would use very cautious language. So I appreciate the fact that you're doing them. You know, I think that, I think they can be for everybody. I, I don't know. Oh, really? Okay. I, I'd love to hear you say that. I think, <laughs> I think that there's a lot of fear around them and for very good reasons. I mean, it's not that they are, they're not always easy and they're not always fun and it's not always, you know, it's not always a trip to the carnival with pony rides and, and popcorn and <laughs> stuff like this. Sometimes you have to deal with tough stuff, but that's definitely not a bad thing. Um, I think that if there was, what you said about prohibition doesn't lead to you know, conscious use necessarily. I think that's very true. I mean, I think that if, if we were in a place where people were a little more free to explore psychedelics and the way that they can be used and the, we have a lot of people this year talking about set and setting uh, and a couple of the, the speakers are, are running experience weekends and, and things like that. So they have a lot of experience with psychedelic therapy and uh, you know, the big thing now is kind of seeding psychedelics inside of a more traditional psychoanalytical process. So there's preparation before uh, an experience, there's the experience itself, and then there's integration afterwards. So I think it makes sense to have all of those things. And if you can, like it doesn't need to be a formula exactly, but I mean, I think that there's a lot of people, you know, I, I've read recently a lot about people uh, with autism or um, Asperger's syndrome or something where where they've had a lot of really strong personal developments using psychedelics. And I think that the way that people who are using them for that reason have to approach them is probably a lot different than somebody who's using them for creative aspects or who's using them for ritual aspects. So, so it's all different, but the, the way that you use the tool is different, but I think it doesn't change the fact that the tool is useful. Yeah. So you make some great points. There's a, a lot to say there. One, I mean, the last comment you made about autism and things like that. I think it's very interesting. And once again, I would just start everything with saying, you know, we need more research, you know, for someone who starts to have an objection, I would just say, I'm not pretending that we know, like the answer is we need more research and it should be legal to do research. Right. Um, and I think we need to be cautious about making certain claims, but the, the small body of evidence so far is, well, not, anything close to enough to be conclusive. It's promising. It's certainly enough to warrant other research. I'll say one thing just from personal experience. Um, I've been diagnosed with ADHD since I was young. I was on ADHD drugs, uh, Adderall, and then later Sutera for a long time, you know, from like 16 to like 
off and on in my 20s, but even really as recently as a few years ago when I went back to grad school in my mid-30s and or early 30s. and Which sounds like the perfect place. Grad school. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) But, you know, I was going to say what I found from microdosing is I heard someone else say that they found it very helpful for ADHD. And I will say it gives me a hyper focus in a way that I haven't experienced since I went off of the um, ADHD medication. And I would also say without any of the side effects of ADHD medication. Interesting. It is interesting. And once again, I would say, okay, let's, you know, we don't, do we know enough to be like, okay, great. So now go ahead and microdose, you know, every other day. I, I don't think, yeah, I, think do, actually, but, I, I should be, but I just want to have an honest conversation because people I, are I, prescribing I, these ADHD drugs left and right. And they clearly have a lot of side effects and we're not having an honest conversation about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it doesn't it doesn't foster honest conversation in a lot of cases. Um, one thing that I want to be clear about, though, is, and I'm glad that you just said the word prescribe, I don't think that psychedelics should get to the point where they're prescribed. Um, the, the people that tend to use psychedelics, especially for self-directed psychotherapy or, you know, it's almost always self-medication, even in the cases of, of people using it to to deal with autism or to deal with things like that. It's people who are doing it themselves and making that choice themselves. I think you get into really, really murky ethical territory when you give somebody acid and it, you know, maybe you can give them the, the idea of what they're going to experience. But if you're, if you're giving it to somebody when they've not come to that decision themselves, that they want to do that, I think that makes it an entirely different experience and probably not necessarily a positive one. So, I think that it needs to be the sort of situation where when people feel like they've come to the point that this is something they want to experience, or even if it's the kind of thing that they're, they've hit rock bottom and they don't know what else to do and nothing else has worked, then they, they can come to these tools, whatever. But the, the, the point is that it should be something that they come to themselves, not something that's, that's pushed on them because, you know, there's a, a company, there's some big pharma pharmacological company that's, pushing, you know, absolutely. I mean, hundred percent agree with you. Not only should we not be prescribing up psychedelics, we should be rewinding the tape the other direction and saying, okay, we should not be marketing prescription drugs on TV, which really only happens in the United States. (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of problems there. I think that we could talk for probably oh, yeah. several podcasts. There, there just <laughs> needs to that. be one podcast on all the problems with the pharmaceutical industry. That is not my battle, but um, that <laughs> definitely is a whole podcast worthy in and of itself. Yeah. So having agreed on the fact that we're not really interested in evangelizing, but having, but we're interested in having a conversation, how do you view the state of or the, the process of psychoanalysis psychedelic activism and perhaps I think activism might be a problematic word given what we've just said, but sort of how do you view not only your role, but what you would like to see play out in Europe, in the U S Canada, and just sort of larger um, stages where these conversations are beginning to, to percolate. 
Um, you know, for me, I, I think that activism doesn't make sense. And um, I think that that's going <laughs> not going to make me necessarily very many friends. Um, but so, so if, if you just take a specific example, like, um, like trying to get the laws changed about MDMA, for example, um, I think law is kind of a, I don't know how to say this clearly. Um, law is, is kind of a third generation effect of, of co the collective unconscious or like what people are, what people are feeling and what people are thinking in their daily lives. So you know, law is like a crystallized form of people's thoughts. So trying to change the law is like trying to change the past. It doesn't, uh, maybe you can do it, but it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense to me. I think what makes more sense is trying to get people to see, you know, everybody's at a different stage. You know, there, there's some people, um, my parents' generation, a lot of them would, would never think about taking MDMA because it's a drug and drugs are bad and you can't, you know, it's, it's scary and who knows what's going to happen to you and you're gonna die or, you know, whatever. There's people that have these, these strong fear associations with that. So maybe the goal there is just to, to get them to see that it's, you know, this is actually something that can be a really beautiful experience and something that can change you for the better. There's other people who are struggling with, you know, too much drug use and addiction and other things like that. So in that case, it's, just changing the way that they use these tools. Um, I think in every case, it's really more just about getting people to be more conscious of what they're doing and getting people to be more conscious of what these things represent. And then the laws will change on their own. On their own. Um, you know, if, if everybody, like for example, in, in the US, I don't, <laughs> I don't know that this was actually the case, but with all of the stuff with, with marijuana legalization, it wasn't that everybody was was protesting for marijuana law reform. It's that everybody was smoking pot. So then when the time came for the, the laws to change, the laws were kind of irrelevant by the time that they changed because everybody was getting high anyway. So, you know, if everybody starts to grow mushrooms, for example, and, and microdose uh, or, or use, them, use them for themselves, I think it will get to a point where the laws become irrelevant and then they'll just update themselves to be more in line with, with what is on people's minds. I totally follow you. Can I push back a little bit on that idea just for the sake of debate? And actually, I, yeah, please do. I wouldn't even say it's a sharp disagreement. I would say I agree with what you said. It's more of a yes and. I mean, I think it, it takes more people <laughs> doing participating in something to shift public opinion, which will then lead to the change in public policy, assuming you live in a democracy, right? So that makes sense. I, I'm with you there. Um, but. And yeah. I guess maybe, maybe I can clarify. Uh, and <laughs> um, for me, activism doesn't make sense. I think that there's a lot of people for who it does. You know, they, they have the kind of energy that they, they want to be, um, pushing against something they want to have this, they want to be fighting um, for something. So I think it takes everybody. It takes people who are just 
using stuff consciously. It takes people who are pushing on the law front. It takes people who are... Um, Everyone has a role, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so if, if you do the thing that makes sense to you and everybody is is trying to live honestly and, and trying to do what makes sense to them, then uh, yeah, I, I guess that's where change comes, change comes from, not in fighting right. against And it. obviously that, there's nothing to disagree with there. I mean, not everyone wants to get involved in politics. I was only thinking people like, I'm sure Drug Policy Alliance or normal or MAPS or any number of other organizations might have might have something to say about, well, yes, actually, those marijuana laws changing in the countries very much did come about because people had to get signatures to get a petition on the ballot. And then people had to, you know, knock on doors to make right. sure people would go out and vote. You had to educate people. I also say this as a, a history teacher and somebody who worked in politics, right. so I'm terribly biased um, on, on, on this particular viewpoint. But... I, I can certainly agree with your statement that everyone has their own role to play. And uh, I get that politics isn't for everyone and that perhaps I, I can definitely see that it's helpful to just sort of not be so overtly political about it. Not that I think it's inevitably political, actually, when you take these substances, because you're implicitly stating I have the right to explore my own consciousness. <laughs> it is a, a political act in some sense. But mm. I, I think that sure. we don't have to, you know, in the 60s, it was so caught up in politics. And I think a lot of people are deliberately trying to avoid that this time. I think in a lot of ways, though, there are different angles through which to come at it. Instead of the political lens, people are really pushing the uh, the health, right, the healthcare, mental health lens because, A, we are seeing a lot of benefits from it, and, B, it's kind of a tougher point to argue against when you see people are actually gaining therapeutic benefits from it. Right. Um, but yeah, this could, and in a lot of different spheres as well. I, I think, you know, it's not, it's not limited to just one kind of therapy. There's, there's all kinds of things. For sure. And that's, what's so interesting. I just had a, the, the guest before you was a, a great guy Ian Benoit, who's a veteran who does work, uh, advocating for other veterans to use plant medicines to heal from PTSD, um, which is really fantastic. And it, we were talking about, though, it's really not that surprising. Like some people are acting like, oh, my God, there are all these benefits to these. In fact, like this is precisely what psychedelics were, were being used for. You know, in the 1950s, they weren't really on the streets. They were in a psychiatrist's office being used to treat alcoholism and addiction and depression. Right. And so this is what people were doing right. with psychedelics before Tim Leary and Ken Kesey came along. So... In a lot of sense, we're just sort of going back to square one and sort of continuing where um, we weren't allowed to proceed for 40 to 50 years with the block on research. Um, and I really hope that's going to change because I think um, I've had a lot of conversations recently about the addiction angle. And I mean, I think that it's very likely that that is going to be something of our theme next year because it's something that is it's really important. And something that's really in the in the consciousness of, of everyday people, 
because uh, everybody battles with this. Everybody has, has struggles with addiction. Some people more than others, but everybody is, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a lot of ways that psychedelics and, and different kinds can be used to to handle this, whether it's it's self-directed or whether it's you know in the context of of therapy or, or in groups or, or however there's there's really there's fertile ground for that. I totally agree with you. I think that is part of a game changer. Now I, I still think we see a bit of variance and we see this a lot with other drugs too, um, in terms of how people view addicts. Right? It's the whole idea of like does someone who have a heroin addiction mm -hmm. or whatever addiction you could call it alcohol. Like, should that person be in jail? Or if it's a problem, should we be giving them mental health, right? Um, and we see big variances by culture, right? And culture might not only be country to country, it's certainly, you know, city to city and different regions and things like that. But what we see happening in, say, somewhere like Vancouver, where we're having safe injection sites and it's far more progressive is something that even a lot of more liberal areas in the United States are not there yet. And so I'm curious how that conversation is evolving in Germany and in Europe at large. It doesn't just have to be about addiction. It can be about psychedelics, but I'm just trying to get some kind of frame of reference, perhaps versus the U.S., about people's attitudes and openness. Um, to be honest, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm really not too sure about that. I, so, I mean, Berlin is kind of a bubble. People are super tolerant here. People are very open-minded about everything. <laughs> Honestly, everything. People are very, very open-minded here. Um, I know that recently there was the first major Ibogaine conference in Europe. It just happened in Vienna. Um, and it was organized by someone that we know who, who does the Entheoscience Conference uh, also in Berlin. And, you know, I Ibogaine is kind of touted as, like, the the thing that really can break through addiction. Actually, I don't know so much about it. Um, but addiction is a huge problem. So, I mean, if you find when these tools become accessible or when people realize that these things can really be useful. I think you're not going to be stop. You're not going to be able to stop people trying to access them because it's just it's it's so much of a need on a on a personal level, on a community level, on a global level. It, it's something that needs to happen. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. Dax, are you still there? I heard you cut out for just a sec. Okay, great. I am still um, here. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point, and it's also a, a great place for us to wrap up as well because we're nearing the hour mark. Is there any information that you would like to leave for okay. folks in terms of how to follow you on social media or how to register for the conference or any anything else? Sure, yeah. Uh, you can find us on our website at alteredconference.com. Uh, and searching for Altered Conference, I think you should be able to find our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram, and our website. And from there, you can get all the information that you need. If you have any questions, you can email us at alteredconference at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, we're really happy to 
response to your questions or yeah, anything that you might Excellent. Need. And we'll include all that information in the show notes as well. Well, Dax, thank you Great. so much for your time. Really enjoyed this conversation and we'll have to stay in touch. Yeah, me too. Okay. Take care. Talk soon. Absolutely. Your continued support makes future episodes possible. You can help by heading over to patreon.com slash hackingconsciousness. Thanks to those of you who are still listening. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Dax as much as I did. Next week, I'll be having his co-founder and co-organizer of the Altered Conference on Amit. And Amit and I are going to talk all about Amit's work with plant medicine, ayahuasca specifically. He's done a lot of work with Gabramate, and so he will undoubtedly have a lot of insightful thoughts to share. One sort of larger note on content. As I'm starting out with the podcast, the majority of the content is really around meditation and yoga on the one hand, as well as psychedelics. And that's sort of happening for a couple of reasons, including where my sort of emphasis or happens to be right now and also my background. But I just want to say that uh, in the future, we will definitely be making a point of bringing people, more people on the show who have a technology background and a science background and really exploring consciousness through that lens as well. Psychedelics are something that are of great interest to me. I think they're a profound tool, but as I'll discuss with another guest who I'm going to be having on the show soon, I think that they are a profound tool. I don't think they are an end in and of themselves. So just wanted to sort of throw that out there that we, we will be staying true to the actual premises, premise of the show, which is science, technology, meditation, and psychedelics, and really hitting all four of those. So thank you so much to those of you who are listening. Would love to hear from you on Twitter, Hacking Conscious, but that's no G in the hacking, so H-A-C-K-I-N, Conscious, at Hacking Conscious for the Twitter handle or the Hacking Consciousness page on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts, your questions, and talk to you next week. This episode has ended, but you can continue hacking your consciousness. Head over to hackingconsciousness.org and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show, as well as bonus content available exclusively for our podcast listeners. That's hackingconsciousness.org. Exploring the mind through the prism of science, technology, meditation, and psychedelics.